0: You know, this whole information, you know, wants to be free business is a bunch of hooey. It's preposterous. And an entire generation of Americans has grown up with no respect for copyright law.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer. The award winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast. And yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California.
3: And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Media Law and also a blog called Law Sites. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors today, uh, SunTrust, which offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law, and also Clio, a web-based practice management solution for legal professionals available at goclio.com. Uh, well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about some of the uh, we're going to talk about journalism uh, in an age of blogs and tweets and new media, and particularly about some of the legal and ethical challenges uh, raised by that. This this issue was very much in the news over the past week uh, when uh, uh, Rolling Stone uh, came out with a, uh, a story uh, about General McChrystal and about comments that he had made critical of uh, White House policy in Afghanistan. Uh, before Rolling Stone could get its own article published, a PDF of the article appeared on other websites and most notably, perhaps, on on other uh, news media sites. Uh, Time Incorporated, Politico among them, uh, published PDFs of this. Uh, and uh, they were—they've been roundly criticized uh, from several corners for that. Uh, David Carr, media writer for the New York Times, uh, characterized this uh, in in so many words uh, as uh, as essentially stealing. Um, uh, we here at uh, Lawyer to Lawyer had had our own little glitch a, a while ago when we were uh, doing a, a show about um, reporting on. Uh, Workers' compensation claims for uh, NFL players uh, coping with with dementia, and uh, failed in that show to mention the the uh, in-depth uh, and extensive reporting done by Alan Schwartz, uh, reporter for the New York Times uh, and author of several books, uh, and uh, so. Today, what we're going to do is have Alan Schwartz on the program to talk about some of these issues and uh, explore in more depth some of the legal and ethical obligations uh, in this age of new media. Alan Schwartz is a prolific sports writer uh, who writes for The New York Times and the staff of The New York Times, author of two books. And as I say, he has gained uh, international renown for writing a high-profile series of articles regarding concussions and other brain injuries among athletes, primarily high school and NFL football players. His work was cited in U.S. House Judiciary Committee hearings about sports-related brain injuries, and uh, as a result, uh, changes in the NFL rules on concussion management uh, uh, came about. So uh, we'd like to welcome to the program today, uh, Alan Schwartz.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. So, Alan, one of the questions that you know, and, and obviously we
2: need to offer you our apologies, and we're we very much appreciate you being on the program. But one of the questions that I wanted to start out this conversation with is what what kind of ethical obligations do bloggers and podcasters uh, have, and, and for attribution, and where do you find that kind of stuff, or is it just something that you know
0: because you're a journalist? Well, I think you've you've brought up an interesting. Uh an interesting distinction, perhaps unknowingly, you, you said the ethical obligation. Obviously there are legal obligations and there are ethical ones. The legal ones are even more murky because of the, you know, the lack of true defined boundary of the fair use law. However, as far as ethically, I think you have to, you have to give credit to, if you didn't develop the work yourself, you should acknowledge the place that did the work. Let me, let me just clarify, for the sake of your listeners. I always you know, the reason I'm on today, as you mentioned, is because of, as you characterized it, a glitch, and I believe it was that in, in when you guys reported about the football stuff, you know, you used a lot of the information that we had published in The Times, and it did not say as reported in the New York Times. And I believed that to be accidental. There, there was no question about it. I had no reason to think it was anything other than that. However, it was important for precedent's sake to to bring it up and you guys handled it with you know the utmost class and and here we are as far as as far as the ethical obligations if somebody else goes to the work and expense of finding something out or putting something together they deserve the both financial and uh, you know just and otherwise credit for having done so otherwise you're basically freeloading and it happens all the time of course but if it continues to happen recklessly, and of course the internet has made it so so common, uh, it, it will endanger journalism in general. Because how can the New York Times spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to follow a story if everyone just sort of takes their stuff and prints it as if it were their own? Um, that is an exaggeration of what happened in this case, but it's certainly not an exaggeration of what happened with Rolling Stone last week.
3: Well, it's interesting. There's a a study that came out at oh i think about 2 months ago the state of the news media 2010 uh, from the pew project for excellence in journalism that uh kind of tracked the extent to which blogs and uh posts on twitter uh cite to uh what we might call the mainstream news media uh and as probably a lot of people suspected, it's 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 quite extensive. As, as a matter of fact, I, I think the New York Times was cited as as the most uh, often uh, uh, cited source on blogs and, and tweets. Um, and and as you say, there's there's the ethical issue and there's the the legal issue, and and the legal issue is made murky by the issue of fair use. Uh, you as a journalist, I mean, how do you approach this issue? Uh, is it your obligation to police your own stuff? Uh, you know, what are you doing to protect yourself out there?
0: Well, in terms of in terms of what I do, my job is mainly to report things fairly, and my job is to when I borrow from somebody else, the Associated Press, perhaps an article that was written ten years ago in Sports Illustrated, whatever it may be. If I take something of substance, it is my job to acknowledge it because, in general. The editors will not know that I borrowed it, and they're not going to be able to police what I do. So my, my policing comes far more in the work that I create, and which is subsequently disseminated by the paper. However, in terms of policing my own stuff, however narcissistic this might sound, I have a Google alert for my name so that I can follow when my work generally is discussed across uh, the various neighborhoods of the blogger sphere. And oftentimes, it's, it's, it's perfectly professional, whether it's positive or negative, it's perfectly professional, but there are some crackpots out there, and that's fine. It's good to know what your readers are thinking. Even if you think that they're off base, it's important to know your audience. But you also see evidence sometimes of people just taking an entire story and posting it on their site with no link, no nothing. And when that happens, it deprives the times of whatever benefit there there is to people visiting our site to read our work. Now, I do not um, get in touch with these outlets directly. Uh, typically, it is, I, I forward them to my editor, who then handles them personally or sends them to the legal department. I mean, it's not as if we send out you know people to like break people's legs or anything like that. But there is a procedure by which we establish our right to to credit and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, I try to stay a little detached. I think the reason that that we ended up speaking, uh, you, you know, you two hosts and and I about the situation with me was that as a as a legal show, you know, it was ironic and and almost funny. I mean, it wasn't quite funny, but it was close. And I knew that you guys would understand, it. we'd have a nice substantive chat and and even a laugh once that was over with. And and here we are now talking about it realistically, for the benefit of your listeners. And that's that's our job, is to educate. And I'm all for that.
2: So, David, how, or excuse me, how do people actually get, uh, where do they find these rules? Where, is there a place, a, a common place where someone can go and take a look at what uh, editors and writers uh, in the professional journalistic world sure. want to see?
0: Well, I can I can definitely say that there are rules and guidelines. There are ethics policies. At the New York Times, we have a, a quite large uh, pamph not pamphlet, but sort of book, if you will. Um, brochure, large book probably about 80 pages long, describing all sorts of ethical guidelines, whether it may be accepting payment from a speaker's bureau or uh, endorsing a product or uh, you know participating in sort of uh, political demonstrations. but there's also rules for sourcing and for quotations and for what you know fair use means to us. In what we do, both what, how we conduct the, uh, the use of fair use, and then also how others conduct it with us or don't. Um, so it's, it's in there. Now, do I consult it, you know, every morning with my Cheerios? No, um, because there's an element of, of it sort of re- reminding me of obscenity. You know, I know it when I see it. I mean, it's common sense. You just do unto others as, as you would want done to you, and if somebody you know, has something that you did not get, then you credit them for having done so. Uh, I think there are times when it gets a little clunky, uh, where, for example, we will put in in a story that we post at three o'clock that, you know, as first reported in New York Newsday, comma, you know, Governor Patterson, such and such. Um, and I, I I wonder whether the reader cares. I can't imagine the reader cares. Okay, and those are that's wasted attention and and wasted time for the reader. But it's a professional courtesy where you 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 indicate that, look, we didn't get this on our own. We were tipped off to it by a competitor and therefore they deserve credit for it because we wouldn't have known about this if not for them. Again, it's it's asking for patience from the reader that I think is potentially dangerous, but it hasn't seemed to have uh, destroyed the business yet. And it's important just to remind everybody of uh, there are rules out there.
3: Well, not only is this a, a legal show, but but Craig and I are both former journalists, and uh, and and I I practice media law, and uh, I, I know that until recently I, I contributed to a, a, a professional legal journalism company's uh, blog uh, on Law dot com website, uh, and. I made a diligent effort uh, I will say to try and track down the source of of something that I was putting on that blog uh, is particularly when it was another blogger I I felt that bloggers uh, who who uh, do some actual reporting and dig up some news should be given credit for that but one of the things I found is it sometimes gets very difficult to track back through the chain of uh, of uh blogging and tweeting and find uh who it was who originally Posted something. It's easier when it comes out of the New York Times or something, but uh, when it's a smaller, say, a, an online media site or a, 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 a blogger, uh, it's not always that easy to find out who the original source was.
0: Well, I, I would agree with that. However, that's not really what we're talking about here. Okay, that that is one end of the spectrum where even in a in a good faith effort, you can't find you know the source of something which otherwise would have been quite obscure. Okay. Uh, what happens with the New York Times all the time is people know darn well what they're doing, and they do it anyway. It's not like Time Inc. You know, said, hey, wow, here's this interesting PDF about you know, General McChrystal. We don't know where it came from, but let's post it anyway. You know, I mean, they knew what they were doing, and they, they did it, and they blamed it on the fact that you know, this is becoming part of the national debate. Well, you know what, fellas? It don't work that way. And it was, it was inexcusable. It was shameful. I'm embarrassed for the entire industry. And I feel terrible for Rolling Stone. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know how much they truly lost because of it. But when you create your own work, you, you have rights to its dissemination. You know, this whole information, you know, wants to be free business is, is a bunch of hooey. It, it, it's preposterous. And an entire generation of Americans has grown up with no respect for copyright law. Now, a good friend of mine, Andrew Deutsch, who is an attorney here in New York and a very prominent attorney when it comes to uh, copyright and intellectual property, he's taught me a lot about these issues. And it was interesting because about 10 years ago, we talked a lot about the dissemination of sports scores and sports news. Uh, you know, was, was the NBA allowed to control play-by-play information, okay, if, if so-and-so hit a, hit a basket, you know, to make the score 74-72. Remember the old days when you can only get two radio updates per quarter? Well, the NBA claimed that that they're creating this news and therefore you can't have it. Well, copyright law, Andrew Deutsch has has taught me, says more about what you can use than what you can't. And he won a very important case involving sports statistics, the dissemination of play-by-play information from sports arenas. That has a lot to do with the hot news doctrine and a lot to do with Things up to and including the New York Opera, if you can believe that. Uh, and, but now he has explained to me that he's, he's now representing newspapers and other news outlets to protect hot news and to, to allow news organizations to enjoy the benefit, uh, of, of recouping their investment in unearthing these facts. You know, obviously, if, if, The uh, New York Times spends a lot of money to discover that. um, I mean, I don't want to use any real people, but that some senator, okay, uh, uh, embezzled money, you know, in their documents and it's all there it is. And they they unearthed it. There's nothing the New York Times can do once they post it on the web uh, or publish it in the newspaper to stop CBS News from repeating the fact. That the New York Times reports that such and such, we we, we can't do that. We can't even stop them legally from saying that so and so, you know, was found to have embezzled, because it's true and and you know. But it's just not nice (laughs) to put it bluntly. It's obnoxious.
2: Do you see see at some point in time in the future that we're going to have a RIAA or an MPAA, the motion picture? association or the record industry that set up some type of uh, protection for copyrights. So <laughs> but Well, that certainly worked permit, out can... well
0: for RIAA. No, uh, <laughs> never in a million years. I mean, the, 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 press would never, you know, the, the conventional news media journalism, et cetera, et cetera, would never, would never do that. Um, I mean, when you hang your hat on free speech for your entire existence, uh, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, draconial draconianly, uh, forbid the dissemination of information, okay, a fact. You can repeat a fact. However, the construction and, and, uh, and assembly of that fact and how it is presented does belong to you. And like a song is not information, even if you can code it onto bits on a, in a, into bits on a CD. It's not information. It's something that somebody created, and therefore he or she owns the right to it. No matter how easy it may be for you to copy or send over over Napster, it's still wrong. It's still taking what is not yours. It's not unlike just walking into a drugstore and taking a you know a, a, a can of uh, Gillette shaving cream saying, "Well, you know, they're not going to miss it. You know it's not going to hurt CVS 's bottom line. They can They can afford it. They're rich. Well, doesn't matter. You can't do that. And what time did to Rolling Stone was, you know, not, you you know, larceny in the same sense, but it was taking what was not yours and benefiting from it. And that's wrong. And they should have darned well known better.
2: Where does it go on the other end, Alan? You know, is it it 10 words that constitutes plagiarism and copying, or where where do you draw the line?
0: Well, I I think you, given, and and again, there are legal issues, and there are ethical issues, and, and clearly it's the ethical ones you want to worry about first because the threshold is lower, and also you, you hope to want to be a decent human being. Um, it It's common sense. It's just common sense. You think to yourself, did I create this or did somebody else? Should I acknowledge that someone else did a good enough job on this for me to want to use it? And if the answer to that is yes, then just say, according to you know, Sports Illustrated or the legal, you know, the guys on the legal talk network. Now, does it subvert the authority of your story? Yep. Is it tempting to just blow it off? You betcha. But it's still wrong. And you have to, you know, if we don't practice these things, then, it, then it's, you know, basically journalistic anarchy. And that benefits nobody. It hurts everybody.
3: One of the issues mentioned in David Carr's uh, column yesterday in which he talks about this Rolling Stone issue is the uh, the recent case in which Google was sued by Viacom uh, over uh, unauthorized uh, posting of Viacom uh, videos to YouTube. Uh, and the court there said that the Digital Millennium Copyright Act uh, basically immunized Google from responsibility for those postings. Uh, you you know, you referred earlier to the fair use standard in copyright law, which, you know, uh, you you uh, analogized it to the uh, obscenity standard, uh, you know it when you see it. Uh, but I think the problem a lot of people say is is it, it's hard to know it when you well, see it. Well, no, but you're, you're,
0: you're missing an important, I think you're missing an important distinction. OK, the court did not say that what happened in that case was OK and legal. What they said was that. Google, as the people who run the site, YouTube, they are not responsible for the bad acts that their users make. The user broke the law. Somebody Understood. broke the law. The question was who and while i am I am certainly not a legal scholar, clearly the Digital Millennium Copyright Act does create what is called some sort of safe harbor. Where these websites and and whatnot, which do not actively post um, these or decide to post these items, cannot be held responsible if somebody else, you know, chooses to misuse that site. I mean, certainly, okay, and and this is this is a strained analogy, okay, but you know when somebody gets in a drunk driving accident, okay, you blame the person who did it. Perhaps you can look to the bartender who maybe he or she should have known that this, you know, I don't know, that's of course a very murky thing, and I don't, you know, we all have opinions about it. But you certainly don't blame, you know, the maker of the glass into which the drinks were poured. Okay? That had nothing, you know, that's not the glass's fault that someone misused it. Now, Do I think, personally, that it's awfully easy for the Googles of the world to sort of sit back and say, hey, man, you know, we didn't do it. It, It's just our users. I mean, it's pretty disingenuous.
3: Alan, I want to follow up with you on that in a minute. We need to take a short break. uh, And when we come back, we can talk more about that. Stay with us, please.
1: Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC.
4: Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Send it for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.gocleo.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount.
1: Engage your brain. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all the great legal podcasts. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not?
4: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center.
1: Oh, I need to do that too. Where
4: do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE. Click on it and start listening, or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
0: Perfect. I'll do that right now.
3: And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi, Jake Craig Williams, and I are talking to Alan Schwartz, sports writer for the New York Times, about the issue of uh, protecting reporting in an age of blogs and tweets. And Alan, I I I didn't mean to cut you off there before the break, but in part, what I was what I'm trying what I was kind of wondering about is is uh, the question of whether our existing copyright law is is adequate for the age in which we live? Or do you see, from where, from where you sit, a need to revise the law?
0: Well, I, I, I got to tell you, that's so beyond my job description that it would be inappropriate for me. Well, because <laughs> if I were to muse on it, which I'm happy to do, you know, with you in a bar sometime, as long as you don't blame the, the glasses for the drinks that I consume... Um, <laughs> You know, I don't, I, can, I certainly should not speak to that on behalf, you know, it, it appears as if it's the New York Times speaking, and that would be completely inappropriate. I think that clearly what we have learned is that the means of dissemination for these digital creations is so easy and so impossible to police that the baser instincts of uh, people will trump the, the better instincts of people who respect copyright law. Uh, it, I mean, the acceleration of of the ability to disseminate information is far higher than our ability to uh, to keep up with it. Uh, and I don't know what that means moving forward. I know it doesn't look good; it looks awful. But I think that there is a segment of society, a large segment of society, that does understand that there is value uh, in creating. Uh, journalism, pursuing journalism, whatever journalism means. Of course, that's a murky word in itself. But, you know, what the New York Times does, okay, and other places too, uh, what we do, we, we can't do it if no one pays for it. It just, it just doesn't work. And as, you, as you might know, the New York Times will be evolving uh, at the beginning of next year into a pay model on the web whereby at a certain point, you know people will have to pay for access to the articles and um, it's a it's 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 a it's a difficult move to make you know it's hard to know exactly what the reaction will be but you can't just keep giving this stuff away for free it won't work
2: but will the New York Times be offering a uh, freemium style uh, service where you get certain amount of content for free but then if you want to go deeper into it you got to pay
0: for it I got to tell you it's such a hot button issue that I really don't want to say one way or the other my my impression is that that is likely but by no means should anyone take my word for it I'm sure it's easy to find out the official statement that we've you know our 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 official strategy is up is around somewhere uh and it's not for me to to uh to clarify um but is yeah there, I think I know a, that it's not as if, there if there's news you can't get it it's just I think that once you go over a certain, certain limit, you, you, you know, have to help pay your freight.
2: Right. Is there a website that you know that's available, you know, kind of along the lines of Angie's List, where you, where you can uh, check to see what websites have been accused of plagiarism or copyright violations, or is this something that has yet to be developed?
0: To be honest with you, I, I have no idea. You know, I'm just a guy who's been out doing my work, and, you know, you guys and I happen to meet uh, at an intersection and and here we are um but i do not spend a lot of time dealing with with these issues i mean i live among people who do uh and my company definitely has to but i'm i'm more of a soldier i'm not a general
3: i i have occasionally seen uh criticism of you know let's call it the mainstream media for for failing to cite blogs as sources of stories where, where a story too. initially breaks on a, on a, uh, on a blog and it gets reported in the newspaper and, uh, and that's the newspaper never mentions the blog.
0: Yep. That's, that's just th- as wrong as when we do it as when they do it to us. It's the exact same thing. Now, generally. Okay. Do I think, or no, not generally. Do I think it's possible sometimes that something on a blog will be less fully baked than something that comes out in a newspaper, okay? Because typically newspapers have very lar- large, large you know, sort of multiple layers of editing, of polishing, of fact checking, etc. And a fact that appears on a blog with no context whatsoever might sort of morph into something larger. You know that that can happen because of the nature of of blogs or more specifically like tweets. I think it's pretty tough for a tweet to violate copyright, given that it's only 140 characters. Now, if you do 140, you know, 50 times over, <laughs> you know, then, 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 then you've got 7,000 words. You got some problems, but um, I, it's, it's, it's wrong to claim some, to make it appear as if something is your own when it is not. It doesn't matter who created it and who's repeating it. You know, it could be a third grader and, you know, and Albert Einstein, but if the third grader says it first and Albert Einstein wouldn't have known it, had he, com- had he not come across it, then he should credit it. Now, sometimes, of course, you do think of things concurrently. I mean, you sometimes come across stories concurrently and it creates difficult, uh, difficult moments when, when, in fact, it happened with me uh, two or three weeks ago and I do not remember the circumstances, but someone wrote to me saying, hey, you just did this story why didn't you credit me? I wrote something similar like a week ago. And I I had no idea. I did not know. But the distinction there is that I did not know. And therefore I came about you know what I had done on my own. And therefore no credit was necessary. Uh now, of course, people hide behind that <laughs> from time to time, saying, Oh, well, I came across it, I, I I came up with it on my own. You know, I'm sure that uh some inventors have, have uh you know found safe harbor there without excuse as well. But you know, it does happen. Of course it happens. It's just when you know it's it's not happening, don't pretend as if it's happening. It's pretty simple.
2: Alan, how frustrating is it to you as a professional writer that has editors and other people, as you said, to polish your work to have Uh, As part of the competition that's out there for you, a group of bloggers and perhaps even podcasters that have none of those controls?
0: Honestly, and boy, is this going to sound arrogant. And I really don't mean it to. I don't think that what bloggers do and what we do at the Times uh, is, in general, the same thing. Of course, there is crossover. It would be insulting for me to, to not acknowledge that. But bloggers are typically reacting. You know, in general, of course, there are many who report to, but in general, bloggers are reactive to news that is either deliver, is delivered to them, either they're watching it live or reading it or watching it on some news program, and then they react to it and, and riff on it or, or interpret it or spin it in a new way, and I'm not devaluing it. I just think it's different than finding the facts... You're working right down to it, Alan, though. How
2: is it any different than a newspaper writer sitting listening to a press release or a a press conference and you reacting to that and reporting what's there? I don't mean to pick an argument with you, but it seems to be roughly the same thing.
0: Well, wait a minute. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not... And I'm not trying to play dumb. I don't understand understand what you're pointing at. I think that... You know, you in general, agree. I mean you you told me you were asking me about just the levels of control and I don't mind right. that bloggers don't have levels of editing because I think what they're doing is they're they're interpreting things between their own ears and 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 oftentimes contributing something valuable to the conversation. However, they are not unearthing facts. And facts need to be confirmed. Opinions typically don't.
3: Alan, we are uh, just about at the end of our time before we wrap up the program we would like to give you an opportunity to have your closing thoughts on this topic and also (laughs) if you'd like to let our listeners
0: (laughs) (laughs) no that's fine it's fun i mean it's really important it is desperately important that we teach people that you can't just take what someone else creates and and make it your own it's wrong And not only is it wrong, it will lead to the breakdown of something that is desperately important to the republic and to whatever it is that we call even freedom, okay? There are limits to freedom in order to preserve what freedom is. And if we don't police that vigilantly and have intelligent conversations like this, then it's going to erode and we will all be far worse off. And I I applaud your uh, devoting a show to this,
3: Alan. If any of our listeners wanted to follow up with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Uh, read the paper. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if you go to the Times and 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 search for my name, Alan Schwartz. There's no T, even though it looks and sounds like it should have one. You should be able to click on a link and email me if you choose.
3: Well, thanks a lot. I should also mention you're the you're the author of two books: the uh, Once Upon a Game: Baseball's Greatest Memories, uh, and also The Numbers Game: Baseball's Lifelong Fascination with Statistics. Really appreciate your taking the time to be with us on the program today and to uh, share your thoughts on these important issues. Well, it's my
0: pleasure, and I appreciate your having me, fellas. Thank you, Alan. Thank you.
3: Craig, that that about does it for this week's program. Uh, Join us next week for another great episode of Lawyer to Lawyer.
0: And we'd
2: like to remind our listeners that our shows are available on iTunes and also available on the West Legal Ed Center. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center and get the elite credit for our show.
3: All right, we'll talk to you next week, Craig. See
2: you then. We'll bring another great legal topic. When you
1: want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.